Welcome to The Long Run. This is a podcast for biotech adventurers. I'm your host, Luke Timmerman. Today's guests are Louis Cantley and Siddhartha Mukherjee. They are co-founders of San Francisco-based Faith Therapeutics. Cantley, who recently moved to Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, is a scientist well-known for his work on cancer metabolism. He discovered the PI3 kinase pathway that's an important regulator of normal cell growth, proliferation, metabolism, and which can become activated to promote the survival and proliferation especially of cancer cells. This work inspired many cancer drug discovery efforts across the industry over the past 15 years. Mukherjee is a physician scientist at Columbia University. He runs a research lab, treats cancer patients, writes best-selling science books, and also finds time to start biotech companies. These two joined forces recently around a provocative idea. They are exploring the role of nutrition in the treatment of cancer. Through this startup, they are betting that cancer patients will live longer and better lives on carefully calibrated diets. These diets are designed to be taken in combination with a PI3 kinase inhibitor, a common chemotherapy, or a common diabetes treatment that lowers blood sugar. Essentially, they want to reprogram metabolism to slow the growth of tumors and give conventional treatments a better chance to kill the cancer. In plain English, it's about starving tumors. Nutritional science is a minefield for a bunch of reasons which we touch on in this conversation. The company has a lot of work to do to prove its hypothesis. But there is a surprising amount of preclinical research already across multiple tumor types and in a variety of models. Most of the work has looked at restricting certain non-essential amino acids from the diet and blocking of insulin signaling. The company is beginning now to enroll patients in clinical trials. It should know within a few years whether it's on the right track. For those who want to read up on the science, Fayeth has compiled a list of five foundational research papers that were published in Nature and Science between 2013 and 2019. If you read them all back to back, at a bare minimum, it really makes you wonder how the world of cancer treatment might look different if everyone were put on managed diets in combination with standard treatments. You can see a link to those papers in the show notes on TimmermanReport.com. Now, before we get started, a word from the sponsor of The Long Run. Alpenglow Biosciences sheds new light on pharmaceuticals with AI-powered 3D spatial biology. Pathology is an essential component of drug development, yet it is stuck in archaic times by looking through 2D slides. Alpenglow has developed an end-to-end drug development solution with proprietary 3D imaging, cloud processing, and AI analysis to digitize entire 3D tissues, providing 250 times more data and deeper insights. Learn how Alpenglow can illuminate your path to breakthrough results at alpenglowbiosciences.com. Now, please join me and Lou Cantley and Sid Mukherjee on the long run. Louis Cantley and Siddhartha Mukherjee, welcome to the long run. Thank you. I think it would be helpful to provide a little bit of background context on the science here, precision nutrition for cancer treatment. How do we get here? And I think maybe Lou, would you like to go ahead and start with like how this got, how did you first get interested in cancer metabolism as a scientist? Yeah, well, maybe if I go back to the 1980s, I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but 
Historically, in the late 1980s, I discovered an enzyme called PI3K that actually means phosphoinositide 3-kinase and discovered it because it's of its co-purification with a variety of oncoproteins, and those proteins that are produced by oncogenes that drive cancers in humans and mice. And this enzyme was going along with the ride, and ultimately it turns out it's one of the most frequently mutated oncogenes in human cancer, particularly in breast cancer and endometrial cancer, but widely important in tumor growth in all types of cells, including hemolignancies, as Sid can say, talk more about than I. But in the process of understanding what this enzyme did, it turned out we found that it mediates everything insulin does in the body. So insulin is, we think of as being good to manage glucose in the body, but it turns out that it can also drive the growth of cancers. And it does so by activating this enzyme. And the mutations in the enzyme make it get activated better by insulin. In the course of trying to understand what PI3K does, we discovered that it regulates metabolism at multiple steps. And this really got me deeply into understanding the role of metabolism in cancer. I started a company, Agios, based on targeting metabolic enzymes directly for treating cancers based on this knowledge. So that's, that's the background of how I got there. Now, Sid, where does your interest stem from in cancer metabolism? We needed a more global understanding of cancer to target and kill cancer cells. And I began to be interested in the physiology of cancer cells. That's an important distinction. The physiology of a cancer cell is different from what mutations it carries because a cancer cell, like any cell, integrates a bunch of inputs, metabolic, microenvironmental, and others, exterior signals from the interior. And so my interest became more and more directed towards what are mechanisms by which we can take cancer cells without forgetting that the fact that they, they have mutations, but also remembering that they have special properties. They acquire special properties as a consequence of these mutations. And one of those special properties is that they become metabolically different from normal cells. Now, we know this from a, long, from a long time ago, from work done by Otto Warburg, work done by Luke Cantley and others, that cancer cells are metabolically different from normal cells. And so I thought to myself, how can we attack cancer cells in a way that we don't affect normal cells? And that's what brought me to a collaboration with you, which has been extraordinarily refulgent in the lab and really brought about new ways of thinking about cancer. Now, this is really interesting, an idea that cancer cells are metabolically different from other cells. I'm thinking back, Lou, probably around the time of the founding of Agios, maybe 15 years ago, when people were talking about, at a very simple high level, like different ways to attack cancer with bombing the tumor, say, with antibodies or antibody drug conjugates. This was an approach of starving the tumor. And, and, and at a high conceptual level, a little bit like the anti-angiogenesis work, like cutting off the blood flow that tumors need to grow so rapidly as they do. This is, how did you think about, how did your thinking evolve around 
starving tumors. As, as Sid pointed out, the first person really to point out this change in metabolism was a German scientist named Otto Warburg. And he did a very simple experiment. He just fed glucose to a tumor versus a normal tissue from a rat. And the tumor, it actually got converted into anabolic processes in order to make molecules needed for the cell to grow, lipids, fats. But most of the sugar just got converted to lactate and came out without being used at all. This was a curious observation. It wasn't clear why that was happening. It sounded very wasteful. Uh, but in fact, the tumor doesn't care that it's consuming much more glucose than any other tissue in your body because it's your body will just make more glucose for it. <laughs> so that's uh, metabolized to glucose very differently from the normal tissue. First of all, it took up glucose at about 50-fold faster rate. And secondly, rather than using the glucose to make ATP, the energy center of the cell, which what most mature tissues use glucose for to make ATP, it, it has evolved that way. That's first observation, really, that metabolism, alterations in metabolism could be targeted. Now, I, I mentioned insulin earlier in PI3K. We now know that accelerated glucose uptake in metabolism is driven by that enzyme, PI3K, that my lab discovered. And it requires, in most tissues, that insulin activate PI3K in order for that glucose to come in. And so that's why I kept keep going back to insulin. As long as insulin is high in your body, it can help the tumor process this glucose in this very different way that tumors do it and use it for anabolic processes to grow. Now, if tumors are becoming, so to speak, addicted to sugar, <laughs> they, they need lots of it. They hoover it up like crazy to facilitate this, this controlled growth. Couldn't you just switch to a low sugar diet? And some people might ask. That's what I've been advocating. Insulin is, as we very well know, is a hormone that's elicited by glucose. It's not glucose that's driving the problem. It's insulin that's driving the problem. There are various methods by which you can decrease insulin, but you can't just take glucose away from your blood, right? because glucose is the central fuel that drives energy in the body. So okay. we, we had to think about a, an alternative mechanism by which you could fuel the body while reducing the insulin glucose axis. And that's how we came upon the idea that you could fuel the body with ketones which can still drive the energetics of the body while decreasing the glucose insulin axis, which of course is essential for virtually every aspect of physiology. Well, sure. So like everything in nutrition, it, it doesn't really lead itself to simple one-size-fits-all solutions, uh, much as we might like it to. It, it doesn't quite work that way. So how did you two guys have a, a meeting of the minds? How did your research come together or with your other co-founders to say, maybe there's a way to intervene on some of this growing knowledge in, in a way that you know can actually like make a difference for patients, extend lives, extend you know quality of life. I'll weigh in on that. As I say, I've been talking about uh, this problem of uh, keeping insulin levels low 
And as Sid is absolutely right, you can't completely get rid of glucose. Uh, certainly, you need a certain amount of glucose in the blood in order to avoid passing out. Your brain consumes a lot of glucose. But if you eat a sugary diet or even rapid-release carbohydrates like pasta and, and rice, then that raises the glucose level only about 5% typically. But it raises the insulin level sometimes 10 or 20 or 30 fold, <laughs> because as soon as the glucose level starts going up, the pancreas releases insulin and the insulin will drive that glucose into the, into muscle and suppress gluconeogenesis in the liver. And as a consequence the glucose quickly comes back to normal again, unless you're hyper, you know, unless you have type two diabetes where it, it, maybe the insulin doesn't work as well. So it's really insulin that's the important factor here. And so our, we're designing insulin lowering diets. And that is similar to, in fact, virtually identical to what people call a ketogenic diet. But we're not doing this in order to make ketones, although the ketones are what allow the other tissues to still survive without elevated glucose. Because it, as Sid points out, all of your tissues can substitute ketones for glucose. But the important thing here is not the ketones. The important thing is to keep the insulin down. Or to keep it on an even keel. Is that a way to think of it? Try The lower, the better. We eat so many carbohydrates today that we assume that it's essential for human beings to eat carbohydrates all the time. But think about evolution. What do you think humans ate 100,000 years ago, 200,000 years ago? You had no pasta. <laughs> you had no cultivated plants. You got berries for about one month out of the year. And the rest of the time, you ate pretty much meat and fats and protein from meats that were animals that were killed. Or you ate uncooked foods like roots, and et cetera, et cetera, that had very slow release carbohydrate. So to have diets with rapid release carbohydrate is our metabolism is not adjusted to that. Our metabolism is identical to the way it was 100,000 years ago. And so that is actually the abnormality is in the diet that we currently eat in regard to how we evolved to eat. Okay. But there's, there's, that's part of the American diet. You know, we eat lots of carbohydrates, lots of processed foods, and, and that causes all kinds of other problems besides presumably fueling people's uh, chronic cancer. But how did you and Sid and others come together around the idea of a company? Because we could issue simple dietary advice that says eat fewer carbohydrates, and that ought to be generally good for cancer patients. But you've got something much, much more refined in mind. There's a story about the genesis of this company, which is fascinating and interesting. So Lou and I and a couple of other people met for dinner. And it's very hard to have dinner with Lou because he only eats proteins and fats and eats essentially a low carbohydrate. We met for dinner and the company began really as all companies begin, which is a sketch on a, on a napkin. And this was literally a napkin because we were in a restaurant on the Upper East Side. And Lou and I said to ourselves, you know, we've got all these tumor models some in hematological malignancies that I specialize in, some in solid tumors. And we are using 
traditional therapies, chemotherapies, etc. But why don't we use diet and a combination of a drug? We had participated, and by we, I mean the university and many other laboratories had participated in a trial of a drug that came out of Lou's work called PSG kinase inhibitors. And what was interesting about it is that whenever we gave P3 kinase inhibitors to humans, many of them became hyperglycemic or diabetic. Their sugars went up. And we never figured out what the problem was, but we just made the observation. We sent them to experts in diabetes, and the expert in diabetes said, oh, give more insulin, which is exactly the wrong thing to do. So we sat down and said to ourselves, wait a second. If you give these drugs, these PI3 kinase inhibitors, and you're getting higher and higher level of insulin, maybe the problem is that you're essentially feeding the tumor with insulin. And Lou and I said, what's a way to cut off this malignant axis of more insulin in the body? And we thought to ourselves, wait a second, there's a second fuel that you can drive the body with, and that's ketones. And you can minimize your insulin because ketones, of course, don't provoke or produce insulin from the pancreas. So one thing that I'd like to emphasize is that this is not just a simple run-of-the-mill ketogenic diet. This is very monitored. Putting yourself on a ketogenic diet means not just making ketones. It means really suppressing insulin. That's the goal of the whole program. To do that, you need to monitor other factors, the amount of sugar, the amount of fat, the levels of magnesium, the water content. You need to keep your kidneys safe, your heart safe. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So this really began as a, a back of the napkin drawing, and we showed in multiple cancer models with Ben Hopkins, a student of of Luz, and several others that in fact that this worked in a variety of animal models. And what was surprising is that it is agnostic to the mutations that the tumor carries. Of course, we're interested in tumors that carry mutations in PI3 kinase or PI3 kinase-related genes, such as endometrial cancer and others. I just want to expand it into the concept for why we should make a company around it. Uh, so the first thing is that you can tell people to eat such a diet, but in fact, it's complicated to get people to stay on such a diet. And if you're doing a clinical trial and you want to know whether the dietary intervention is actually helping, you almost have to provide the meals to the patients. And we did this at Wild Cornell in some early studies that Marcus Goncalves, another former postdoc in my lab, who's an endocrinologist, MD, PhD, has designed. And he was very successful to get patients to stay on the diet if he provided them all the meals through our kitchen at the New York Presbyterian Hospital. So we realized, you know, that's not sustainable for large clinical trials that we wanted to do to prove 
that PI3 kinase inhibitors would be much more effective to patients stayed on the diet. So we needed a company in order to actually deliver these meals to the patients. And when you say pro providing the meals, is this sort of like a, a blue apron type thing that gets shipped to your house or how, how does exactly. that work? Exactly. So they, the meals get delivered to the house and, and the, the patients begin, they also consult with the company with regard to what they're eating. So they fill up a daily chart of everything that they eat. Did they eat only the meals that were delivered or did they eat a snack in between? And cancer patients are usually pretty compulsive about reporting to the physicians what they're doing. And so we got that information and we know how well it's working. But before I go too deep into that diet, I, I do want to point out that FAIS, the company that, that we're talking about that we started, is more than just insulin lowering diets. That's the diet. That's the thing. That, that's important. very important. This is very important. Yeah. And it and so the history of the other founders of the company was in part due to the fact that Karen Valsden, another founder of the company, was doing a sabbatical in my laboratory. And she had made the discovery that under some conditions, lowering amino acids, particular amino acids, serine and glycine can uh, impair tumor growth and work synergistically with certain drugs. Greg Hannon from Cold Spring Harbor had made the observation that lowering methionine levels can improve responses to certain tumors in certain situations. So we realized that you could form a company that would design the diet that either lowered carbohydrate or lowered amino acids or specific amino acids, methionine or serine or glycine, that could be tailored to the particular mutations, types of tumors, and that would synergize with the drugs that are conventionally used in those settings. So PI3K is the, the example that Sid gave, is really our front runner in the company in regard to dietary intervention, but it's more than just that. We plan to do a number of types of diets that will improve, we think, responses in trials. Biology lives in 3D, yet most research in pathology is still practiced on 2D slides. Alpenglow sheds new light on drug development with AI-powered 3D spatial biology. In 3D, we can better understand tissue structures like nerves and vessels, complex cellular distributions in the tumor microenvironment, or detect rare cells and drug targets. It's time for us to start looking at the world in 3D and accelerate drug development with AI-powered 3D insights. See what you've been missing by partnering with Alpenglow at alpenglowbiosciences.com. Your idea is that the diet needs to be paired synergistically with certain kinds of treatments, whether it be PI3 kinase inhibitors or I guess SGL2 inhibitors, or even certain standard kinds of chemo. Exactly. Okay, so coming back to this idea of a company, when you start talking about precision nutrition or nutritional science, I mean, you guys know, this is something of a minefield. <laughs> There's all kinds of noise in the marketplace around nutrition. It's really confusing for consumers. Eggs are good for you, eggs are bad for you. Coffee's good for you, coffee's bad for you. All this kind of stuff is out there. Ketogenic is the way to go, or no, it's not. How, um, how did you think about getting support for this thing or investment to, to get the company off the ground? I think the idea behind the company is not precision nutrition. It's not weight loss, it's not diabetes management. This is a 
very specific company they're dedicated to combining specific nutrition with potentially drugs which then cut off the vital supply of cell division for cancer so um, we aren't a precision nutrition nutrition company i would say in a traditional sense there are many precious precision nutritional companies that are asked to dedicated losing weight or you know getting muscle or whatever yeah, i think ourselves ourselves as fire as a company that uses nutrition as one axis of many axes to deliver cancer care with a goal of like any cancer treatment developer of like i said extending life and quality extending of life. life exactly and potentially getting cures so what we're doing is we have clinical trials ongoing clinical trials just like you would try to approve a particular drug you have to have the control group and the intervention group and there is a PI3 kinase inhibitor alpolizumab commercial name Picre from Novartis that is approved for breast cancer however that drug only gives a 6 month progression free survival and compared to controls without that drug so that's not a home run 6 months is good but it's not a home run we think based on our preclinical studies mouse models of breast cancer that we can shrink tumors not just slow down their growth and so that with that drug the same drug will shrink tumors if you put them on this ketogenic insulin lowering diet if you just give it the way it's currently approved to be given just like with patients you get some extension of life but it's relatively brief so to prove that this is true that the dietary intervention really does improve the response you have to do a clinical trial where you have an arm that's just standard of care with the drug and an arm that has a dietary intervention plus the drug and the patients have to be randomized into both trials and there have to be enough patients to prove whether you're really getting a life extension or progression free survival extension with the dietary intervention in otherwise identical drug treatment and if that's so then the FDA will approve that providing these meals to the patients really does extend life and it should be reimbursable by insurance these trials have to be very well controlled and that's traditionally been one of the knocks hasn't it like but there's just so many confounding factors people are given typically told to eat something they're not actually given the meals precisely they're not monitoring what they eat and say oh don't eat this or do eat that and we'll see what happens but not in a clinical trial setting how often do you, do you do a clinical trial in a cancer treatment now there have been prevention trials done with diets and they almost always fail virtually every prevention trial the hypothesis that goes into the trial of changing what you eat and see whether you get cancers at higher or lower rates almost invariably the hypothesis is proven to be false so we have very few successes and this is why dietary intervention is looked on as rather suspiciously unless it's done 
with a clinical trial that proves that it works, nobody's going to believe it. The physicians are not going to believe it. Prospective, randomized, active comparator, controlled, all that good stuff straight out of the gate, like or, or like phase one even. And, and all the patients on our trial have, they wear glucose monitors, so we know what, whether they're cheating or not. We can see whether glucose is going up or not when they eat. They report what they eat. We get a literally daily report from all the patients and uh, go over those once a week. And also, and don't forget that this is not just insulin. When we do proline-restrictive trial, uh, trials, we get blood and we can measure the exact level of proline or serine in the blood. It's a totally different paradigm. We're not like saying to people, like many companies say, oh, go get yourself a steak and a sandwich from wherever it might be. We are sending diets we're monitoring them and we're monitoring them in what I would call a, an extremely highly scientific setting. We have a totally different approach to all of this. So you can essentially connect the dots between the underlying biological effect that you're shooting for and whether that leads to the desired clinical out over a, a period of time in a, in a live cancer patient followed for whatever, three, six months or longer. And, and we have mutational data. We can trans, we, you know, we take blood. It's a, a completely different way of thinking about, I, I wouldn't even call it precision nutrition because that word has become so, or that phrase has become so, you know, passe. I would say that we are running clinical trials on nutrition plus drugs in the context of cancer, and they are monitored in every in the same way that you would monitor any drug that is coming into the cancer pharmacopoeia. Have you won some converts to this concept in the last couple years? I mean, because we've talked about the skepticism that's out there. Are well, people the first, getting on board and joining you? The first con converts we have to get are the oncologists. And fortunately, yes, we are getting oncologists on board. It helps that Sid Mukherjee himself is a physician. And that's... Uh, and, and, and I would say I'm a convert myself. Yes. And Marcus Goncalves, uh, who trained in my lab, is also a physician, not an oncologist. He's actually an endocrinologist, which even gives him more respect in regard to the importance of insulin, because that's his expertise. And then the oncologists at both Wild Cornell and Sloan Kettering that are involved, at, as well as Columbia, in enrolling patients are also converts. They've read the papers, they understand the science, and uh, they're excited about the trials. Who's funding these trials? Because it looks like you have a number of them that are up and running and beginning to enroll. So the, uh, the Alpha trial is Novartis has is at least paying for part of that, not entirely. As a general point, COVID really made it very hard to put trials back on track. Now that we are experiencing, hopefully, a downturn in at least the most pathogenic variants of COVID, we are slowly getting back on track. But there were two hard years or one and a half year hard years for us because the, we were derailed by world events that are beyond our control. So we are enrolling again, enrollment is now up and running. We have multiple centers. 
and a lot of interest from patients because patients are tired of the old kill and maim cancer paradigm and they're looking for new ways and this is a completely new way of thinking about cancer dating back to the work of Otto Warburg and others. Can you talk a little bit about how the company itself is organized? Because I, I see that you, it looks like you have dietitians or nutritionists on staff, as well as people who can do data science and look for patterns uh, for particular tumor types and mutations and diets and how they match up. How have you thought about staffing this company to, to achieve these goals? The critical thing was to get people in place who First of all, understand the science at every level. This includes understanding how you monitor patients. And there, there are some very sophisticated monitoring devices, patches that can give you continuous glucose monitoring. It comes goes directly to the physician. So you can see, oh, somebody's eating something right now. I see their glucose is going up. It's coming in electronically through the through the web. And so we have to have expertise at every level here of understanding the technology as well as understanding the diets. And some of the people in the company put themselves on the same diet first before they decide it's worth going into a clinical trial with it to see whether they themselves can manage the diet. I've been on an insulin suppressing diet for four to six months and have been completely fine. And you also have to remember that patients are really motivated. They want their cancers to become better. There are people in the company who put themselves on various restrictive diets and found themselves completely fine. Because as you know, you know we, have under, we, we understand human physiology in a way we didn't understand maybe 50 years ago. And that's important. We're exploring a brave new hypothesis about cancer, which is chemotherapy, immunotherapy, radiation, surgery, have been the pillars of cancer treatment for a long time, but nutrition has not been. And we think that metabolics and nutrition are a fifth pillar or sixth pillar of cancer therapy, which has been unexplored, although important for many reasons. So that's where we end up. Sid, what do you think success would look like with this company? five or 10 years down the road? I think success would be any one nutritional and hopefully more than one nutritional therapy. And the word nutritional is just a keyword, right? Because what we're trying to really do is to alter the biochemistry and the chemistry of the cancer cell. Nutritional sounds, I don't know, some kind of woo-woo. But we'd like to alter the biochemistry and the chemistry of the cancer such that it becomes more receptive to drugs, can become more sensitive and less resistant to drug therapy. So success would be, number one, to be able to systematically alter the nutrition of patients such that their overall physiology would be tolerant to the nutritional alteration, but also allow their cancers to be sensitive to the drugs. Number two, success would be, of course, the capacity to shrink a tumor, to kill a tumor, and to potentially cure a cancer 
based on a combination of nutritional therapy plus a drug or nutritional therapy alone? We would like at least two independent clinical trials to be completed that prove statistically that the uh, dietary intervention really does improve the response to the drug compared to the standard of care with the drug. And as I say, we've already started that trial for alpha the PI3K inhibitor, with uh, the insulin-lowering diet. And if we can get an amino acid intervention diet that also shows statistically in a well-controlled clinical trial that would be accepted by the FDA for drug approval, then having two different trials successful, I think would really prove the point dramatically to everyone. There would be no doubters after that. That would be big news if people knew that here is a precise diet that will help you live longer and better with cancer. To Sid's earlier point, cancer patients are very motivated. <laughs> if, if they knew, here's the roadmap, I think they'd be more motivated than the average person to follow that and live better. I agree. It's got to be proven. How, how long do you think this recommend is going to take? It unless it's proven. The, the length of the time really depends on the length of the trial. We have not taken any shortcuts. We are doing exactly what the FDA has recommended. We are doing a trial just pretending as if the diet is a drug. We are, as I said, in every way, totally compliant with the current ways by which we evaluate drugs. In this case, the drug is a diet. And we monitor, just as you would monitor compliance, we monitor compliance, we monitor biomarkers, we monitor, there is really no difference between this and a drug, except of course, this is nutritional as opposed to a small molecule. So how long does it take? It takes as long as any other trial takes. Typically five years for a phase three trial at the best. We have accelerated ways of doing this. We're enrolling rapidly and hopefully we'll keep enrolling as we go along. But it's a really big statement to hear you guys say that this could be like a fifth pillar, I guess is the, the term, like chemo, radiation, surgery, immunotherapy, and diet. I like the word fifth pillar because I think it really is a fifth pillar. We haven't explored it. I mean, Lou has explored it scientifically. We are now exploring it clinically. And all the data would suggest that there is, there is something to it. It's like any you know, exploration, of course, there are some risks attached to it, but I don't think that we are out in, in, in no man's land. We've done plenty of preclinical studies, plenty of science to suggest that this would be a fifth pillar. The science behind this is completely solid. We know exactly why it's working. It's not like there's some magical thing that happens when you eat this diet. We have no idea why, but it works. We know exactly how it works. It's keeping insulin down and insulin drives the growth of tumors. Hopefully in a few years, uh, we'll have clinical data to pour over and I could have you guys back on the show to talk about how to get this to millions of people around the world, because it really does seem to have that kind of potential. This isn't going to be $100,000 interventions per person. 
much cheaper than the drugs you're using. All right. Thank you guys so much for spending time to today on The Long Run. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Long Run, a production of Timmerman Report. Pedro Rosado of Headstepper Media was the sound editor. Music is from D.A. Wallach. See you next episode.